Career Disruptors is the podcast for senior managers who are not afraid to challenge the status quo, who challenge assumptions and who push the boundaries and love shattering conventional wisdom. I'm coach Caroline DeKimper, empowering professionals to build a personal brand that gives them the confidence they need to go after the career they want and deserve. Thanks for tuning in today. And today on the show, we have Chandra Moran. Chandra is a coach, facilitator, speaker, and she helps entrepreneurs and executives love their work without burning out. She's also a podcast host and co-founder of Global Superfoods. Today, Chandra is going to give us some invaluable insights on how to love your work without burning out. Welcome to the show, Chandra. Hello. Thank you for having me. You are welcome and we are so honored. So before we dive in, I would love to find out what got you so interested in this topic? What's your story around it? Well, I think probably like most people that go down a path of following a passion, it links to my own experience. I am what I call a self-confessed workaholic. (laughs) I I think I... um, Definitely got this from my dad, but I think I've always been a worker and and really whatever job I had or career I was in, I always really threw myself into it. And I worked for a long time in media, in radio mostly, and then a bit of TV. And so radio is an interesting and very dynamic industry and it's always on. And so for a workaholic like me, it was like this perfect storm of uh, an amazing environment and opportunity that would also be able to suck you dry of every ounce of energy that you could (laughs) give it if you were prepared to. And so I was in radio for almost 10 years. And through that time, um, I did, I worked a lot and I didn't have a lot that was going on outside of my my work life. Probably, you know, one creates the other, I think, when I was so involved in my work it did impact you know my social life was very much tied up with work and um at for most of my radio time i was single or in a um a not very well functioning relationship and so the work life just took over everything and then i had what i call it early midlife crisis and left radio and that's when i trained as a coach back in like 2007 or 8 or something like that and loved that and then got into another job which was with a learning and development company which was awesome and I loved it and I it was a real combination of things that I really enjoyed um but once again I recreated that same pattern it was like I didn't learn anything Caroline (laughs) and I, I sort of did it again I allowed the job to you know really dominate my life and um it got to the point where I just kept getting sick all the time yeah and you know, I'm a fairly healthy person normally and I eat well and I just knew that something wasn't quite right. And uh, anyway, after getting sick all the time, I went and had some tests done and I was diagnosed with severe adrenal fatigue back in 2014, which basically is burnout. And so that, I guess, set me off on a bit of a pathway of trying to be curious and learn about, is it possible for you to love your work and really want to be passionate about it and do a great job without killing yourself along the way. So I think that kind of was maybe a longer answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, and it's so interesting, like, because when you say workaholic, like, it's such a fine line because you're so passionate about what you do and then you tend to love spending more time at work and doing those projects and having those responsibilities and growing your career. But you also have to think about yourself and your self-care and it's a fine balance, isn't it? Yes, it is. And even now I'm going to you know, put my hand up and declare I, I am so not perfect because even though, I mean, in some ways, when I left that last corporate job um, after the diagnosis and was starting my own coaching company, a lot of people just looked at me and said, are you mad? Like you're going from, you know, you've got severe adrenal fatigue, you're burnt out. And so you're going to start your own business. That doesn't seem very smart. (laughs) But my theory was that if it was my own business, I'd be more able to influence, you know, what projects I said yes to and how much I worked and when I worked and things like that. And, And that is definitely true to a certain extent. But even now I, I do find it very easy for me to be caught up with, you know, the excitement or the challenge of whatever the current work project is. And Mick, my husband, you know, often likes to lovingly tease me about the fact that he thinks that if I could, if it was actually physically possible to do, that I would work all day, every day, into the night, no problem whatsoever. He could just bring me food. Uh, And so we laugh about that. But it is something that I'm still very mindful of that I obviously, I have a bit of a tendency towards that. So it's something I have to pay attention to. Oh, what's wrong with us? I know. Because I have the same thing. Like I can just say, I really enjoy having my glass of wine, sitting behind my computer and do work. Yeah. In the evening when I put the kids to bed, I just love that. And it's Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not able to just close my computer and just like watch a movie with my husband? No, I choose like to to sit behind it because it's not an obligation. It's something that I love doing, but I know that it, it needs to be sustainable and I need to put some boundaries for myself in place because otherwise I'm just going to go out of control and, and, and burn out and that's not where you want to be. So, um, yeah, and that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, and look, I'm the same too. Like, um, you know, we when we go on holidays, one of the last trips that we did, we went to Bali. It was a relatively impromptu decision to go without a lot of notice. Mm. But um, for... Not every day, but there were probably, you know, maybe 50% of the days that we were away where there were work things that I'd already committed to that I needed to do while we were away. And there was no point that I felt resentful about that. And I think that's really interesting too. Whereas some people would go, oh, that's your holiday time. Um, So I, I still, I think it's great that what I've created for myself now is work that I genuinely really do love and that I don't feel resentful of what it requires of me on the most part. Uh, however, I'm, I'm also very acutely aware that that tendency, if I indulge in it too much, can push me back from a health perspective back to where I, I was you know, a few years ago and that's something I definitely don't want to do. So it's, it's an ongoing project. 
Yeah, yeah. It made me think of something else also. It's like you mentioned health, but there's also another part of the equation, and that's like your your partner or the family that that we live with. Um, so, in in your situation, how how did it impact your your partner? Because you might be fine like opening your laptop on holidays, <laughs> <laughs> and my husband might be some. Oh, I'm fine like uh, in, in the evening taking a glass of wine and sitting behind my laptop. But actually, like, how does your your partner actually re- respond or react to that? Excellent question. So, <laughs> with the holiday, um, it worked out pretty well because we would get up and have the morning and have breakfast together, and then he would go to the gym, and I would work, you know, for a couple of hours. And um, there was probably one or two times where. He would, and he has this tone of voice that kicks in when I know that I've pushed the boundaries too much. And you know, he might just say, "Babe," and, and literally, it's like the four four letters that he can say in a certain way that makes me know, okay, I'm I'm on the 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 last threads of of patience or whatever. Yeah. Um, or sometimes I'll be upstairs in the in the office, and you know, he's cooking dinner. And he's waiting for me to come down before he eats. And, um, you know, again, he'll kind of let me know when I'm um, pushing the boundaries a little bit on that. But I, w- I want to try to not to get to that point. And yeah. that's where I guess it takes a little bit of discipline around uh, how I can do that and indulge in the passion that I have without it impacting my most important relationship um, negatively. Yeah, exactly. And another part is also like when your passion turns around and not becomes so that you're not so interested and fulfilled anymore with it. And I'm talking more about, not about when you have your own business, but when you're a a senior manager, director or executive, um, what I often see, and you will have seen that too with your clients, is that they uh, they love their job. They make so many sacrifices in, in time that they spend at work rather than with their family because they're so passionate about delivering a good job. And then suddenly, like, it turns, whether that is, like, a change in senior management and they're suddenly, like, not getting along with their boss anymore or not getting where they want to be or that it's just, like, suddenly a realization or there happens something in their family life. And it's, like, sometimes you make sacrifices, you regret so it's so important to to have that balance, isn't it? Yes, it really is. And that's the thing too, that when I look back over, you know, some of my past roles, I'm very aware, I can see with hindsight, where there was that sort of arc, if you like, of, of loving what I was doing, loving the environment, the people I was working with, the projects we were working on. But then, it, you know, in in two of the main ones that were significant crossroads for me, there were exactly as you've just described, significant changes that something just kicked in. Like for me in radio, I was extremely successful in many, um, I guess, ways of measuring that. But there was something for me that was not fulfilling. And mm-hmm. so, so not there wasn't significant change necessarily in the organisation, but what I started to notice was there was something in me that was like, like, oh, is this it? That kind of question kicking in. And then I could also see the writing on the wall with different changes that I thought were likely to be coming in within the industry and things like that that I didn't necessarily support. And that's where 
um, maybe the, the version of burnout at that point wasn't so much the, the physical one, but the emotional one of, of how engaged was I feeling in what I was doing? Did I feel like what I was doing for work was meaningful and contributing in a way that meant something to me? And when yeah. that, when that w- need was not being met anymore, that's when I think the disconnection can kick in as it did for me and, you know, for many of the clients that I work with, they just get to a point where it's like, I, I can do this and I'm good at doing this but I'm not convinced that it's what I should be doing or that I want to keep doing uh, yes. indefinitely. And that question, once it's in, um, it, it's, it's a difficult one to shake because you, you, it's like, uh, what's that saying where it's like um, where you can't, once you know something, you can't not know it anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's there. It's like you've let the genie out of the box. And yes. so uh, that then just becomes what you do about it. Um, whereas when I compare with the looking back um, with the other um, more corporate job with the leadership development company, um, there were significant changes in the leadership and ownership of the business. And there was a real values shift in terms of the type of work that the business was doing and wanting to do, the way the organisation was running, the people that they let go, the people that they hired, all of yeah. those things that really sent some messages to me that told me that all right there's a disconnect kicking in here Mm. and you need to make some choices and for me I let that run for quite a long time like when I look back on it uh, I there were warning signs for me early that I chose to ignore because it because it was comfortable I was chose to to ignore them ah because it was comfortable any other reasons well I mean the reality was it was the thought was okay this is a bit shitty Oh, I didn't ask. Can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this, this situation is, is a bit shitty or I'm not really supporting that decision or, or whatever. But, you know, uh, we've got multiple investment property mortgages that we have to meet. And, you know, for where I'm at in life, um, I'm in my early 40s. Do I really want to be, you know, changing jobs now? Like all those, those supposedly intellectual rationalizations kicked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and made me think, no, just push through. And I know I was making excuses. Oh, it's just this particular project or it's just this client or it's just this teething problem. The number of just I said to myself either internally or externally, ridiculous. Yeah. And I think then it got to a point where I was ignoring a lot of the signals for a long time. And for me, this might be a bit woo-woo for some people, but for me, I strongly believe that because I ignored my instinct around those warning signs, my body started getting sick as a different way of sending a message to me, hey, you're, you're out of alignment here. Something's got to change. And so I think for me, that's where you know, the, the physical impact started really kicking in that forced me to think about it differently. Yes, absolutely. So spot on. We need drastic warnings before we actually do something. Something yeah. dramatic needs to happen before we realize like, oh yeah, actually we don't really pay attention to the small signs that we, that we see all the time. 
Yeah. Um, and we, we think like, okay, we can push through it. We can just tolerate it and accept it and suck it up. But yep. then it explodes. And then it's like, oh, holy shit. Yes. <laughs> and this is, change. yes, this is the thing that, you know, again, hindsight is a beautiful thing sometimes. But I, I know that part of it also was my workaholic tendency of just saying, you know, I can do this. I, I can just work a bit harder. Or if I stay back late again tonight, um, you know, maybe tomorrow will be a better day. All of those rationalizations uh, just didn't serve me at all. But it is one of those things where, and I've got a couple of different examples of this in my life, where, as you said, it's like we, we have to wait until some significant trigger kicks in that gives us permission to make a choice that we probably just should give ourselves permission to make. Yeah. Yeah, it is exactly like that. Oh, mm. and it's so sad that we have to wait till that happens. But yeah. in hindsight, so many things are really good in hindsight. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I think I told you the story ages ago. Like before I started, uh, before I focused full time on my business, uh, I was in a corporate job, loving my job as HR business partner, and then suddenly we had a change in management. They pushed me out they bullied me out and I was so gutted it was December January came around I was crying I was like feeling like oh this is the worst thing ever we just have a new house we have two kids it's Christmas oh. and it's like and it's the best thing that could have happened to me looking back now because I wouldn't have taken the plunge of really focusing on my business full time if that didn't happen because I love my job. It's so interesting to see like how bad things can turn around and be the best thing that ever happened to you. And totally because often it is that, that unfortunately the, the significant change tends to be on the other side of significant pain. Yes. And we don't like it when it lands in our lap or in our life. But if we can, and this is where sometimes I think, you know, when I might talk with a new client who is at one of these significant professional crossroads and there's, there's things that aren't going well, or they're not happy. I, I get a bit excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they think that I'm, a, I'm a, you know, a bit, of a, a bit of a nutcase. But for me, it's like, this is exciting. It's like yeah. on the other side of this is something amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because people hit rock bottom. When they come to you, probably they just acknowledge that what they've been doing is not sustainable. They need a change. They just don't know how to do that change and what needs to happen. So, and that's basically the people that you can help the most in their transformation. It's like, because if people don't realize that yet, if people are not there yet, they they just like fluff around and they procrastinate mm. and they say like oh later oh it sounds all good but like uh, um we'll work with you in a couple of months time it's like no it's people that made uh that that really hit rock bottom and need to to have that change happen right now that are yeah. the best to 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 experience that transformation basically yeah and look a client that i was working with last year is probably a classic example of that someone that um you know i have has been i guess in my community for some time aware of the sort of work that i do and you know she she had been in her industry for a long time things were shifting a bit but you know she wasn't making it important enough to start making plans about what she might want to do next. And as often happens, when you ignore those things, something's going to come in. And for her, it was the universal boot where, you know, out of nowhere, here's a redundancy. 
Yeah. And um, whilst many people would say, oh, well, that's great, you know, and, and it, it can be very positive, but it also can be quite devastating. And for her, it was because she had wrapped up so much of her identity with what she did for work, as mm. many of us do, that when that was taken away from her, not by her own choice, that can create a bit of a spiral of people questioning, well, hang on, who am I? If I, you know, when I was at Nova in working in radio, it was a known brand, an aspirational brand. There's a certain kind of kudos that came with saying, oh, yes, you know, I'm the program director at Nova. And the questioning that kicked in for me when I was considering leaving definitely included, well, if I don't work at Nova, who am I? And and that whole question of the value that you have to offer is so tied up with the role that you've had, that can be a real stumbling block for people too. So that thing is, the question is, you know, do you want to wait for the universal boot to kick in or do you want to actually get in the driver's seat and start looking at what you want your professional life to look like if it's living your, your life on your terms? Yes, and because there, and looking back now, whilst you're talking, I'm thinking like, have I changed my behavior? Because you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking that you got another corporate role and actually fell in the same pattern. Mm-hmm. So I'm now looking back if, if the same pattern happens to me if I actually know my triggers at the moment and act before they really get out of control and that that really something dramatically needs to happen. And I think I do, maybe not all the time, but there's definitely changes that I've made in my life uh, so far because I already know the early signs like oh, that doesn't feel good. I need mm-hmm. to change that. And I know the consequences that will happen if I stay down that negative path or just keep on ignoring it it's about ignoring those triggers and say like oh I'll suck it up and that that doesn't end well so I need to I I'm at the stage that I tend to recognize a couple of those triggers early on so I can make the appropriate changes what about you that's so awesome that you do that you do that yeah for me definitely I think one of the things that was a significant change since the adrenal fatigue diagnosis was that I actually started doing some training in mindfulness mm-hmm. and I did um, as an eight week course called MBSR, which is mindfulness based stress reduction. And what's interesting is I would never really have described myself as feeling stressed back then, but Oh my God, I totally was. I, it, it had just become the new normal. So the mindfulness practice that I started learning about back then has become a a daily part of my life. Not every single day. I will admit there are sometimes days that that I miss it, but um, they are very rare. And for me, one of the big things that that opened up for me was increasing my level of self-awareness in lots of different aspects of my life. And so for me, I think part of what you want to be looking for here is... um, how self-aware are you around what's actually going on for you right now? Are you noticing these little clues and triggers that are popping up or are you moving so fast that you're ignoring them or you're not noticing them? So increasing your level of self-awareness and then increasing your ability to notice when things are out of alignment 
So you've got to sort of know yourself well enough and what it is that's important to you and what you really want and what feels good and what doesn't feel good and then be really curious and hypervigilant about being on the lookout for when things go outside of the kind of bandwidth that you like. And I think for me that's one thing. Definitely I'm not perfect, but I do feel like I notice way earlier when I'm starting to go down a bit of a path that's not um, serving me and I um, move faster to make those changes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Spot on. I have a couple of questions from that. Yeah. Um, Like maybe we can discuss a little bit what type of those, what those triggers can be, what what the types are, what people can, uh, how people can recognize those triggers. So do you have a couple of examples what those triggers could be? So if I think about it for um, clients that I've worked with, sometimes what can happen is when they notice, and that's the big thing is do they notice or are they just so in it that they don't notice, where they're procrastinating about something. So, for example, a client that I um, was working with, she was uh, worked in media and she had taken time off to have her first child and to be focusing full-time on, on being a at-home mum. And then she was getting to the point of, of wanting to start to look for a return-to-work plan. And there was some potential that her past work was going to have a role for her, but that was a bit sketchy. And so she was saying that she really was wanting to be more proactive in connecting with networks and seeing what was out there. But when we looked at it, she actually really wasn't taking any action. And so she was telling herself intellectually that this is what she wanted, but she wasn't following through with with action. So I think that's always a a really good clue around there's something that's a bit out of alignment. If you're not taking action on something, then that's that's one thing that's worth exploring of, okay, what's, what's up with that? And for her, one of the things was that she hadn't really reconciled her own thoughts and feelings about putting her child into daycare yes and that that was a significant um values conflict for her because until that was resolved in a way that she felt comfortable with i was convinced that she would continue to self-sabotage or distract or procrastinate about taking the action that she knew that she needed to take and of course then as soon as she realized oh that's actually a block and did something about it then the conversation started happening. She started meeting with people and she ended up getting, you know, back and a perfect sort of job situation um, because of that. So, so that's one thing is if you're not taking action on things that you tell yourself are important, then maybe there's some kind of either values conflict or something that's not quite right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I recognize myself in that so, so much. Like I, as you know, I love taking action. Like you tell me something and I just go and do it that same day. But there have been a couple of instances that there was something that I wanted to do and I just kept procrastinating and nothing was working. And I did a lot of research and I was never happy. And it's just like, was in the back of my mind constantly what what should i do and then i just said like to myself let's try let's try something and if you don't like it then you can just change it so i took a small step towards like doing that and then suddenly it was like this is so easy what why have i been procrastinating <laughs> holding me 
the hack. Like this is just a process and yes, I needed to refine it and I need to learn something new, but yes, it is just like, it's not as difficult and daunting and uh, really it, it helped me back. But yeah, so it's funny that you self-sabotage and then you don't see that it's actually you doing it. <laughs> yes, or not doing it. Exactly. Are there any other triggers that, that you see? Like, I, I would say, like, if you start to become demotivated and disengaged from what you're doing, that yeah. instead of ignoring it, that, that would be a trigger, wouldn't it? Totally. And so you want, again, to be starting to be aware of your own behavior. And sometimes it's looking for things like, uh, are you um, talking more negatively about your work situation or work colleagues than you used to or that than what feels appropriate because I feel like often that can be a, a sign that that's a uh, you're trying to vent and so if you're noticing that actually when people ask so how's work and if you just launch into a shopping list of all the terrible things that are going on or who's knowing you or, or whatever, and that goes on for a while, that straight away is a bit of a clue for you that, okay, maybe I need to be doing something about this. So how you talk about work, how you think about work. And yeah. the other part of that is it may not be vocalized, so it might not be things that you're saying. It might be how you're feeling. And I remember distinctly a particular uh, day when I was driving into work and something happened I got a call from uh, I think someone in the finance team or whatever and there was some issue of something that hadn't been signed off in time and so a payment wasn't going to go through to someone and that was going to I don't know it was this whole sort of um, domino effect thing and it was like eight o'clock in the morning and I was driving into work and I remember hanging up the phone and whilst driving, bursting into tears and just feeling like I was at my wits end of what I could do and was outside of my control and my own. I remember ringing and speaking to my boss at that time through these floods of tears. And um, that for me was, a, was a, a, a trigger because I'm not really normally, I wasn't an emotional person. Yeah. And so when I started noticing that I was a lot more teary, I was a lot more frayed in terms of my, um, you know, against sense of, of patience and things like that, they were triggers for me about, oh, this isn't feeling yes. like me. This isn't feeling good. Yes. So, but it's easy, again, to have that rational mind come in and say, oh, it's just because you're tired. You didn't yes. sleep that well. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we can talk ourselves out of these things. But I think it's far more beneficial for people to turn it into a project to become really curious about noticing all of these things to see is cumulatively all of these signs and triggers suggesting that it's time for me to make a change. And if so, then it's about being curious about what that change might look like. Because not everybody has to get to that point and then you know, quit their job and start their own business or move to Bali or whatever. Yes. Uh, but there, there can still be information about, okay, something's got to shift because this isn't feeling aligned for me anymore. This is so good in terms of like, if you start to act out of character, mm -hmm. then you know that, okay, something isn't aligned. So, yes. yeah, so, um, yeah, de definitely. And I think also we, we kind of touched on a couple of things, how people 
uh, when they notice those triggers, what they can do instead. So uh, you mentioned um, the, the self-awareness and you mentioned curiosity. So like, what do you mean by raising self-awareness? Because we're very um, in touch with what that stands for for us, but uh, can you just like articulate that a little clearer to anybody listening, what that exactly would mean for them how would that show up how can they practice uh, or how can they increase the self-awareness yeah awesome and there's there's probably quite a number of little um subsections to self-awareness but i think the main things are starting with um one making it important enough for you to ask really great questions about what's most important to you and how do you want to be feeling about your work life and what you're doing and what you're spending time? So the self-awareness is around who actually are you? And that can be really tricky. And I remember, you know, if I, back in my radio days, if someone had asked me that, I probably would have looked at them like they were some kind of freak <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't really something that I had given a lot of thought to. But just the process of inquiry is valuable of because often it can feel like, oh, well, I know what's important to me. But then the next step is, well, articulate that. Can you actually say out loud what your top five values are yeah. in the context of your work life or your whole life? Um, are you able to give examples of where you feel like you're in flow in a workspace? Yeah. So that the self-awareness piece, part of it is knowing yourself, who you are, what's important to you, what feels good, what doesn't. So that's yeah. one part of the self-awareness. The other part is, is that curiosity around um, noticing when you're in flow and when you're not and to try to approach that. And this is a mindfulness approach, which is about noticing it without judgment. Often what can happen is, and I'm often guilty of this um, a lot in the past, more so than now, of if something didn't feel good, I would dive straight in to solution mm. mode. Right. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And I just be, you know, everything's a project and i just be straight onto it. And it's actually one of the challenges that I faced with my mindfulness practice was observing my avoidance of feeling anything uncomfortable oh. of wanting to rush to get to something that felt good and I, I thought intellectually that, well, that makes sense. I want to be a positive person. I want to feel good. And so I want to optimize the chances of that. But the mindfulness approach is actually not striving or wanting to cling to things that only feel good, but to just to become aware of what's actually here. Yeah. Right? And because the other thing is that when you try and avoid feelings that are perhaps under the, the banner of, you know, less preferred feelings, yeah. then what happens is you're pushing them away. And in doing that, you're not necessarily getting the lesson. So yeah. I think it's that, that element of training yourself or building the skill of being self-aware enough to know what you're aiming for and then noticing what's actually happening now to make a wise choice about what you do next. Yes. Yes, definitely. So you mentioned like, okay, mindfulness. So how can people um, start a mindfulness practice? What are the, some of the things that they can do to uh, start that and to increase their self-awareness? So the, the great thing, or I think it's a great thing, is that mindfulness has come a long way 
in the last couple of years. And so there's lots of resources that are available for people if they are curious about wanting to increase their level of mindfulness. So there's um, apps that are out there. What I did was, because I was not someone that had ever meditated before really. And um, so for me, it was something that was quite foreign, even though I am quite you know, a hippie in the city. So it, it always surprises me when I think about the fact that why hadn't I done, you know, really much meditation before getting to this point in my leadership journey, I guess, that uh, around meditation. But I went and did a um, leadership course. It was a two-day conference, mm-hmm. which was about being a mindful leader. And that introduced me to a couple of different apps and different practices around applying mindfulness in as a leader in an organization and in your own life. And so there's some apps that people can listen to. There's one that's Australian, which is called smiling mind. Uh, There is, but the the one that I, uh, and there's another one, which is great, which is called headspace, which is um, narrated by an English guy. So if you like the sound of um, men with English accents, that might work for you. Uh, (laughs) And they've got some great animations that help to, you know, talk through, what mindfulness is and how our brains work and things like that. But the, the one that has been become my go-to in the last couple of years is 10% happier. And the reason why I like that is because they very much focus on education and they have a lot of little interviews with mindfulness teachers that actually explain what's going on with a certain practice rather than just, you know, doing a guided meditation with no context. And for me, I think as someone who's an avid learner, I want to understand the why of something. I want to understand a little bit more about it rather than just doing it. And so some of those apps, and most of them have some kind of free component that people can sign up for and just, you know, get exposed to it to see if they like it or not. But also a book recommendation that I've got is... Oh, am I going to say this correct? Um, it, it's but I, I won't say the author's name correct. It's like Chad May something, and he was an engineer at Google. Ah, yes, 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 yes. And his book is called um, I think Search Inside Yourself. Yeah. And he created so Google um, used to I don't know if they still do have a approach where. Um, employees can do a personal project and they have a certain percentage of their working week that they can work on this personal project. And so he worked on creating a training program to introduce mindfulness to employees of Google. And he had a team of people that came on board to help him with that. And it became the most popular course ever offered internally at Google. Anytime they said, we're going to run one, it got booked out straight away. And it's now to the degree that Google have a whole separate spin-off business, if you like, and not for profit um, or arm of the business that goes out and trains in corporates their, um, the version of this training course. So his book is really great if someone likes reading about mindfulness. And also... Um, the they do creator- also like uh, speaks, uh, talks, don't they? Uh, because there was one and I missed it, but they also do talks uh, uh, branded on the Google um, for mind- mindfulness. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and other books are in the 10% Happier suite. One um, uh, is called 10% Happier, which is by Dan Harris, and he's an American news anchor who 
um, was is a self-confessed um, skeptic mm. and uh, about mindfulness, and he had an anxiety attack live during a live television broadcast, and that put him on a path of exploring mindfulness for high achievers. Mm. And you know, he really explores. You know, are you going to lose your edge as a performer if you? Uh, become mindful and so it's really interesting and his latest book is called meditation for fidgety skeptics oh wow <laughs> that is so, such a good topic yes wow yeah. yes so he's teamed up with a, a really great meditation teacher jeff warren and um yeah so i like the approach they take as a as someone who's probably that type a personality of like driven and an achiever mm. uh that's i think why i've been drawn to that suite of tools um, the 10% Happier Books, the app and the podcast okay. because it's very much about, you know, people who want to do great work and work that they love and they want to achieve and be successful, but they also don't want to kill themselves on the way. No. I, and I, I definitely want to try that 10% Happier. I currently use Calm, yes. uh, the meditation app, and it's good. But um, And I used Headspace in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just different. It's, it's branded all on the meditation apps, but it's so different. Like the, the way the teaching happened in Headspace and then in Calm, uh, it's so, yeah, it's a different approach. Yes. Uh, I don't know which one I preferred. I just like to change. Yes. <laughs> so now I want to actually, I'm curious to find out how uh, 10% Happier compares to that and how it makes me feel. So uh, to keep, because it's important to also keep that engagement, to keep that routine, because sometimes I'm really diligent and do it like 90 days, 100 days in a row, and then I slack off. And then it's like, okay, I'm just thinking like, oh, what's the purpose again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's where I think, you know, the people often encourage um, you to consider doing retreats because that's a more of an immersive experience. I've done one. I haven't done um, one for a, for a while, but I think that's where, again, that's sort of a, a deeper end of the pool of um, diving into it. But, and I think, you know, I, you know um, I am definitely a mindfulness advocate, but it's only part of the puzzle because for me, I also, you know, love to be working with people to ensure that the work that they choose to do actually feels fulfilling for them. And, and I think the mindfulness piece for me is, is around the self-awareness that yeah. you know, when you're self-aware, then you can make decisions that are wise about what you do next so that you don't just bounce from um, an unhappy or uncomfortable current work reality and you just want to get away from that. So you just go to anything or something else and, and hope that that new environment is going to suddenly be different. But as that saying goes, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. And so if you haven't kind of dealt with um, the stuff of working out, well, what do you actually really want to be doing with your work life? Yeah. Then you, that's when you can just find yourself in a, in a new environment, but it's this, the same kind of um, challenges will come up pretty quickly. Oh, I see that all the time with my clients. They try to escape one environment, uh, a job environment. They are at, at the stage of desperation. So they take the first thing that's offered to them, compromising on other things that uh, they value and hoping that that will change. And it's like, do not start a job compromising on that. First yeah. of all, you have to set your boundaries. And yes, you might actually, you have the choice or you 
stick with your current job a little bit longer, but actually find the next step that's really aligned with you, that really makes you sing, that gives you fire in your belly and exciting excitement, rather than to just like go to an, from one miserable place to another. Because yes. that's what I often see my clients do out of desperation in the hope things will be better. But unless you take that time to dig deep and to self-reflect and then create from that space, create something new, you, you're never going to get there. Yeah, or it would be a very short-lived um, positive boost yes. before you suddenly realize, oh, Yes. <laughs> so one of the one of the questions I ask uh, when I when I start working with a new client, every time I ask that question, it's like, okay, um, through your career, how many jobs did you accept? Only to find out that three or six months in the job that it's very different than what what you thought it was, and that uh, you feel like, okay, this is not what I signed up with for. And a lot of people come back and say, like, yeah, that's exactly right. Because they, <laughs> they just hope they don't dig enough to actually find out if that job is going to match what, what, what they're looking for in the first yeah. place. So it's, it's, it's just interesting. So um, yes. I think another thing, so we, we talked about self-awareness and being curious, but I think like the last component is like, and it ties in uh, with all the rest, but it's that component of self-care. Because at the very beginning, you said the impact it made on your social life, being a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And I think like that self-care and stepping away from whatever you're doing and to really connect with, with whoever you, your loved ones are, uh, is really important. And at the core of that is, is you. You have to love yourself and, and, and take care of yourself. Isn't, wouldn't you agree? Yes, and, and it is one of those things that, again, for some people, when I talk to them about the sort of work that I do, I, am, I take a very holistic approach. So um, if someone just wants to get another job yeah. or, or, you know, get a promotion in their, their current environment, I'm probably not the best person to work with them. I, I tend to work with people that are at that professional crossroad, if you like, of they want something different but they want it to feel meaningful they want it to feel like they can you know what they do for work expresses who they are mm. and that part that is part of self-care and so I am have been really fascinated in the last couple of years probably since starting my business around the the creation of what I call true well-being which and I looked it up the definition of, of well-being is the contented state of feeling happy, healthy, and prosperous. And so for me, with the approach that I take with working with people is that it's really important that you address all three of those areas because if you don't, then that is not going to be sustainable or you're going to pay the cost at some point. So for some people, they might just accept a job because it's 20 grand more money or however much more money and they think oh fantastic my life will be so much better when I earn all this extra money <laughs> and of course I love money I'm happy to you know uh, receive more of it all the time and I also know that it in and of itself doesn't resolve the the happiness question and the um, sense of the overall sense of well-being if I'm not doing work that makes me happy 
Yeah. And the other component of that is how is this impacting my health? And that's around your level of self-care in, in both physical and mental health. And yeah. how are you creating an environment where what you do for work is supported by your um, habits of self-care and boundaries? Yeah. And so, you know, that can be challenging when you're, when you're busy and there's, and there's projects on. And I think that, you know, you can make choices as I have done in the past of working on something and saying, okay, this is a season where we're in build mode. And so it's going to take a little bit more time and effort. And so I'm diving into that and maybe someone observing me would be saying, wow, you're just working all the time. Yeah. But then you want to balance that out by at another phase of, of completely unplugging or, yeah. you know, for me, I travel quite a lot with the work that I do at the moment and one of the things that I've developed for myself is that where I can, if I don't have to get up at a certain time for an appointment, then I don't set an alarm and I let myself sleep in so that I'm, I'm kind of like repaying myself for the added effort for the, um, the travel or the project that I've been working on. And that's what's really important. Whereas I think in the past, what I used to do was just operate at that uh, the on level all the time with not yes. enough of those moments or um, the baseline of self-care. And I think that's where that whole question of work-life balance is such an interesting one because balance, people often think of scales that are even, whereas uh, I think and, and recent research has shown that you know achieving perfect balance actually is a, a false aspiration that really what you want to do is how are you integrating the different elements of your life that are important to you to make sure that they each get the share of voice that they need at the right time. Yes, exactly. It's about how to, yeah, integrate it all uh, yeah. and to not, it's not a choice between one or the other. It's like a holistic view. They have, it's, they have to work together. They're linked together. Mm -hmm. So you have to, um, make sure you, you, you set the boundaries and you, you're clear about how, what, what you want out of it. Yeah. And don't look at it as two, as two separate entities all two, two, together. Yeah. And um, as you, you know, I, I take the approach that, that every individual is the CEO in the business of their life. And therefore, they're responsible for the growth and the sustainability and the well-being of their own life and what they do for work within that. And human beings grow the most on the border of support and challenge. I can't remember where I heard that. I heard it years ago and I just loved it. And so, so if you think of it, then you, you don't want to just be immersed in the support, the self-care, the nurturing. And if I just slept all day and then went to yoga and then went to an organic cafe and all that, that's, that's great. But that's not sustainable in terms of meeting some of the financial uh, needs that I need to have met and, uh, and mental stimulation potentially as well. So too much support is actually not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. But then on the other side, uh, you want and need enough challenge that gets you stimulated, that gets you wanting to learn about new things or connect with different people and stretch yourself. And mm -hmm. so you want to have enough of that. But too much of that is where you're going into burnout town and you're totally challenged, totally stretched, always out of your comfort zone, always on too much of that is not good either. So you sort of, I think of it as like 
two countries, like in Europe or something, that share a border. And one of the countries is called support and one of the countries is, is called challenge. And there's like this little um, windy road that dips into support, then dips over into challenge, then dips into support and dips into challenge. And that's kind of what you're trying to do. You can't be yeah. in both at the same time necessarily, but you want to be giving yourself enough of both. Yes. Oh, I love that analogy. <laughs> Brilliant. You mentioned that uh, what, what you focus on is that people become the CEO of, of their life. So uh, I love that concept. And if anybody wants to explore that more, like how did, can they connect with you and find out more about, about becoming a CEO of their life? So I have a podcast, which is called The Transit Lounge. So there's a couple of episodes there where I dive into that um, specifically. But I guess, you know, most of the um, episodes that I do are, are around, you know, how do you step up to become a leader in your own life? A lot are around people that are at that kind of um, professional crossroad and how they can make decisions that do feel aligned. Mm-hmm. So that's um, something they can connect in with that. They can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and I have a private Facebook group, which is called the transit lounge, um, being your own boss in the business of your life. So they can request to join that where, you know, we just have discussions. It's really about creating a group of like-minded people that, that don't just want to have a job to pay the pay, you know, pay the bills, but that they want to do something that feels fulfilling. And it does address them as a whole person rather than just their, um, the slice of the life that's about career. Yep. Okay. And uh, if people want to take it a step further and really work with you one-on-one, is that something that you can help them with? Yes. Yeah, so I work with a very limited number of, of one-on-one clients at the moment. Um, but if people are interested, then they can definitely just you know, connect with me um, through LinkedIn uh, and just to, you know, let me know, introduce themselves and we can have a, a, a chat about where they're at and what they're wanting to achieve to see what would be a good way for the, us to move forward. Perfect. Brilliant. And I will be doing the CEOU. Uh, I have a, a program called CEOU, uh, being your own boss in the business of your life. And I will be running that again later this year. So that's something too, that if people are curious about wanting to know more about, then if they connect in with me, then I can make sure to send them information when that's going to be uh, the doors are opening. Perfect. All right. And I will link everything up in the show notes also. So to make it easy for our listeners. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. Thank you so much for the awesome, awesome discussion. I really enjoyed it. And I took copious notes uh, <laughs> to actually go through and, and digest myself because I think it's something that we have to be mindful of all the time for ourselves and to create uh, that that environment that we love at work and that we don't burn out because once you burn out, it's so much harder to get back. And so it's so much easier to understand the triggers and to really identify them before you, you, you let yourself go too far in that, in that rabbit hole, basically. Yeah, totally. And it is something that, although it can be frustrating to, we would prefer that maybe this is, you know, something that you just look at once and then it's done. The reality isn't, it's, you know, your life is ongoing. And so things will change for you at different stages of your life. So you want to be regarding this as an ongoing um, project and process in your life and um, to make choices from that space that are right for you. 
Definitely. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here and telling your story and telling and, and sharing your insights with us today. Thank you for having me. I think it was a meandering stream of conversation, but hopefully uh, people got a few ideas. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.